definitely wasn't always cricket. I, the way my career has gone has kind of been falling into things where there have been opportunities somewhere and I've taken it. Probably my confidence was was really low and and I was very much in a headspace of what, why what, what would I do? Who would actually want to listen to anything that I said or what would I yeah. so I, I just wasn't I wasn't in a good enough place to even mm. contemplate doing that. Number of views is way up when India wins and it goes straight <laughs> down when India loses. So I've learned that very, very quickly. <laughs> Some of the phrases you've used there, like the Eastern Hemisphere, lead me to believe that you have been Googling me and you have come across <laughs> some truly ridiculous, we're talking about ridiculous things. I'm a millionaire. I own an <laughs> Audi. I, it's, it's, it's really amazing some of the things that are on there. If I have the measurements that they say I have, I wouldn't be doing this. I would be a supermodel. I check it like you read sing bow in it, yeah? Uh, I, I really don't mind. You hit me once, I hit you back. He's bowling like my Auntie Annie when she'd had too much sherry to drink. Hello and welcome to Pie Checkers Cricket Podcast. I am Vivek and joining me are Shivam and Sumer to do the pie checking. Uh, now, before we start, as always, thank you for all those who are liking, sharing, commenting and subscribing to us. And to all those who are not, we please request you to do it. It means a lot to us. So today, we are delighted to have with us someone which ESPN calls as the most established journalist in the Eastern Hemisphere. Even though us cricket fans, uh, uh, for us cricket fans, hemispheres don't matter. She is truly global. Uh, she has covered cricket for ESPN, Crick Info, Foxport, ABC, The Wisdom Cricketers, Almanac, The Times. The list keeps going. Uh, from the polite inquiries frame and now with our own popular post-match show, The Good, The Bad, The Ridiculous, we are joined by the ridiculously good Melinda Farrell. Thank you for coming and joining us today on Pie Checkers Cricket Podcast. Uh, thank, thanks so much for having me, guys. I, I'm a little bit worried because some of the phrases you've used there, like the Eastern Hemisphere, lead me to believe that you have been Googling me and you have come across <laughs> some truly ridiculous we're talking about ridiculous things some uh some things out there that have been written for me on these alternative wikipedia type pages and they i don't know if they've been they've maybe been translated into other languages and translated back but it's hilarious because almost everything in them is wrong uh so yeah, the, the eastern hem i mean what is the eastern hemisphere no <laughs> That's not even a thing. And that's not even close to being the, the craziest thing that's on some of those websites. According to some of them, I'm I'm a millionaire. I own an Audi. I, it's, it's, it's really amazing some of the things that are on there. If I have the measurements that they say I have, I wouldn't be doing this. I would be a supermodel. <laughs> Everything about those, those websites is just really bizarre. So don't don't take uh, don't take too much notice of them. <laughs> but at least all of that is positive. <laughs> well, Most yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's it's actually makes me out to be far better than I actually <laughs> am. So bring it on the fake the fake uh, profiles. I'm sure you're underplaying this, uh, uh, Mel. Uh, we truly enjoy your shows and whatever articles which you have written, we truly enjoy, and especially your own post-match show. We're totally loving it, as you can see with the kind of tweets we kind of keep sending across. Yeah, you guys have uh, were, were some of uh, my first uh, nomination nominators, I guess is the <laughs> word. So uh, I really appreciate the fact that you guys have, have been involved and sent some great nominations in and been a part of the show. It's uh, it's no show without uh, everyone else's involvement. And I wanted to do something that actually involved people out there who were watching and sending stuff in and have it a little bit interactive. So yeah, I'm very, very grateful to you guys. Thank you Thank so you. much, Mel. Uh, let's go back a little bit. Before all this happened, how did your journalism journey begin? Uh, was it always cricket or was it something else or how did it all happen? It definitely wasn't always cricket. I, the way my career has gone has kind of been falling into things where there have been opportunities somewhere and I've taken it. So, I, I mean, I, I studied, I did a Bachelor of uh, Communications at, at university and 
did a whole heap of things in there as far as journalism went and, and uh, also film studies and media writing, all, all that kind of thing. Uh, so television production. So I, I did, did all that at uni um, and then went overseas as soon as I could afterwards and was working for Sky Sports over there where I was all, working a lot of different sports at, at times because I was freelance, but then I was mostly working on rugby league, on the Super League over in England. Um, so that that was just sort of behind the scenes stuff, but I'd started also producing my own feature stories, which I really liked, but it was very difficult then. I was pretty much told straight out that uh, it was too, I couldn't really do the reporting side of things. I could produce all the features, but it had to be someone else's voice on it or uh, someone else, you know, fronting the camera because I wasn't an official reporter and also because I was Australian. So that was a bit of going to be a dead end for me as far as that, that kind of thing went. So I came back to Australia and, and was freelancing and I did everything. I mean, I did straight news. I was uh, working for regional television, reporting on, you know, everything from, you know, the, the council planning uh, to build a car park somewhere in some tiny little town or, you know, something happening at the, the, pig farm somewhere just all sorts of things and uh, I was going down to Sydney on the weekends and and working for Fox Sports News and then from there I just started doing more feature stories for Fox Sports particularly I would do rugby league in the winter and then I would do cricket in the summer uh, so it's very hard to just do one sport in Australia because nothing goes all year round sort of locally uh, so I was just doing both of those and and then just gradually as I did various freelance gigs, I drifted more and more into cricket uh, and until that basically became the, the full-time gig. That you've, you've been a part of film production and stuff like that, and that you were not thought good enough to be in front of the camera for your stories. And from that, more famous shows rather, so uh, this question and uh, this question has two parts to it. First, how did polite inquiries happen? How did it start? And what's the story behind this motion that happens before <laughs> it? So what is the background story to it? Is there any? Oh yeah, there absolutely is. Well, uh, polite inquiries were started by Jared Kimber and George DeBell before I before I even met them. Not long, about probably about six months before I met them. I think in the ashes that was on in England that preceded. You know, he had that crazy year where he had back-to-back -back Ashes series. And I met them in Australia that summer. Uh, I was actually working for Cricket Australia at the time. They'd started up cricket.com.au uh, and I just started working with them and signed a two-year contract um, but was uh, not particularly happy there and so left after three months. But I sort of made friends with, with George and Jared on that, on that tour and uh, they... I, you know, they helped me very much in in then getting the job with Crick Info. It took a lot to get it. I had to fly halfway way around the world on a wing and a prayer uh, and a chance just to get a meeting with someone. So uh, I I got that job and then pretty much straight away, only George and Jared had done polite inquiries and it was very much tailored to their sense of humour. But then Jared came out to Australia for the India series, uh, the 2014 uh, in 2014, that that year, um, and they, well, he didn't have George, so basically, <laughs> I was the I was one of the last ones standing. He used some other people as well, but he said, "Oh, you you need to do polite inquiries with me," and I was actually really nervous because he and George had established something that was very much them, and and you know they were so funny, and I I wasn't sure that I could actually provide anything or be as funny or as knowledgeable as them anyway. Uh, but Jared just threw me in, into the deep end really and said, look, it doesn't matter if it's, if it's a rubbish one, it's a rubbish one. And um, it was yeah, quite supportive in that way. Yeah. If you're rubbish, don't worry. Um, and so kind of went from there and, and we've done, we, um, I'm no longer with ESPN, but they've, had different combinations depending on on who's on site. So I've worked with various people, whether it be Andrew Fidel Fernando or Fidos Munda uh, or Dan Bredig, Bryson uh, Bryden uh, Coverdale. So it, it sort of became something that we would do. Who was ever there? It, it's always really been Jared and George's baby. But I was very lucky because I was often there that I would end up doing a lot of polite inquiries with those guys. That this thing started 
from I think it was at the Oval uh, where the editor of Crick Info um, had shown up and, and he didn't have uh, a pass. And, and George sort of made a, a claim that he could get him into the ground and he wouldn't even have to speak. It, and he he basically got him into the ground without a pass. And that's, you know, it's just like, look at my face. That's basically where that came from. So it was like no introduction needed. And it was all based on George's ability to get someone into a, a, a cricket ground on match day. That's interesting. That's interesting fact. Uh, but coming then uh, to to your, uh, your stink, your own stink with internet, um, you know, as ridiculously good as it is, but how did you come up with that name? And, with and the, again, with your own show, uh, Good, Bad and Ridiculous, uh, how did you come up with that name? Uh, and also, why were you so late to the internet party? Why didn't you start earlier on YouTube? Well, so, well, okay, so first of all, I'll, I'll do the second part first of that question. Okay. Uh, so, so I left, I mean, everything I was doing then, it was a pretty frenetic sort of, five years, five and a half years uh, with Crick Info where I was sort of going from the English season to the Australian season. I had a couple of pretty long stints in India as well. Uh, I went to New Zealand, I went to the Caribbean. It was pretty much yeah. nonstop, um, in some ways maybe too much nonstop for, for a period of time. So that, that was my focus. And I, I kind of left there a, a, a year ago, actually. Um, so, and at that point, I, I know Jared told me that I should start doing something and other people had told me that I should start doing something, but it was all just a bit, you know, I was back to being freelance. It was the Women's World Cup in Australia and I was working for about uh, eight different organisations over that uh, T20 World Cup, of T20, the, that Women's okay. World Cup. Um, so... So I, I didn't really, I wasn't really in the headspace to even think about doing that. I was just trying to get as much freelance work as possible. And, you know, off the back of that, I, I had all things lined up for this year. You know, I was, I was uh, going to come to India for the IPL, then I was going back to England and then come back here to Australia for the men's T20 World Cup. So and it, it was all, there was so much ahead. So I didn't really think of it. And, and to be honest, when all that work sort of collapsed for me, um, at that stage, I really wasn't in the headspace where I could even do it. I really, it really hit me hard as far as hmm. just everything gone, like, like it has for a lot of people. I'm sure a lot of people in the world can, can relate to that, particularly those of us who operate in the so-called gig economy. Um, so I, I, probably my confidence was, was really low and, and I was very much in a headspace of, I think, what, why, what, what would I do? Who would actually want to listen to anything that I said or what would I, yeah. so I, I just wasn't, I wasn't in a good enough place to even mm. contemplate doing that. And then at the start of the India tour, I thought, ah, oh, just stuff it. Like if not, if not now, when, um, I'm just going to do something. I'm not even really sure what I'm going to do. And so, so I had sort of some general videos in there that I took outside the game, the first, first couple of, of um, white ball matches but I wanted to do something that was interactive. Uh, I couldn't do polite inquiries, obviously, because that's just someone else's gig, but um, I wanted to do something that was interactive uh, and that involved Cricket Twitter, because Cricket Twitter is a great place. There are so many funny people on there. Um, there are very witty people, very knowledgeable people, and there's almost an entire language and, and I don't know, different phrases that are, all evolve around Cricket Twitter. So it was important for me to kind of do that. And, and then I, I, I like, well, I can't just ask people to ask questions. What can I do? And it started off as the good, the bad and the ugly. And the, if you see on my YouTube channel, the first several videos were the good, the bad and the ugly because I like puns or whatever. And, and that was obviously a reference to the movie, the Clint Eastwood movie. But what I realized very quickly was that having good, bad and ugly was kind of negative because you only had you had one section for good, and then essentially you had two sections for bad, and that I, I kind of thought that was really limiting and a bit of a downer. Yeah. So, so then I decided we talk about ridiculous in in cricket Twitter all the time. You know, you have a ridiculous catch when yeah. someone takes it. It could a, be 
crazy catch. Yeah, we all, I, even uh, Dan Liebke, who's a, another very, very funny podcaster, writer, uh, he's been doing uh, one with, I think, Dave Tickner called The Ridiculous Ashes. And he actually contacted me to say, I hope you don't mind we're calling it this. I'm like, mate, I don't own the word ridiculous. <laughs> uh, so, we, you know, that it, it's, and, and ridiculous is a word that can be used to something that's fantastic, really, really awful, um, or just plain ridiculous. And, and, and let's face it, there are so many silly yeah. things in cricket that it kind of works. So, yeah, so it's, that that's kind of where it came from. And I mean, I'm still learning. I'm still learning what works, what doesn't, how, how to go about it. So it's a very new thing for me still. We totally enjoy uh, uh, your show, Mel. Uh, and I'm, 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 I hope you're you are okay us calling you Mel. Because... Of course, of course, you, you can definitely call me Mel. Everyone does. Uh, yes, so, uh, we totally enjoy uh, your post-match shows. So now, for us fans, uh, Mel, we love listening and reading to all post-match reports, especially when India is winning. Uh, but we always wonder... Yeah, can I just yeah. say on that too, like just, just on that, it's what I've noticed really quickly is quite funny, is that uh, the number of views is way up when India wins and it goes straight down when India loses. So I've learned that very, very quickly. But, India but, winning is good for cricket economy. <laughs> yeah, so were you were saying something? But that's also because uh, you've covered India series. So obviously uh, you will cover other series and you will see maybe a normalized. Uh, you know. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. I do, do want to cover lots of different things. So it was just when I started, India were here and then this series was coming next. It, the time zone works quite well. So so, uh, so who knows? We'll see what direction it goes in, um, in in the future. But I do love covering a variety of teams because it can get boring talking about the same players all the time. Yeah. You know, it's quite nice to, to talk about different players and, and have different stuff to talk about. Yeah. So how does this happen, Amel? We, as I mentioned, we love listening to or reading articles, uh, like I mentioned, especially after India winning. So uh, how do you guys, are, how do you guys do it so quickly? We, I mean, there is a story and there is an article which is so well written and so, so uh, I mean, we enjoy it. But how do you, in, in a matter of hours, able to reproduce a story or, or, or an article? Uh, if you're talking about written articles, okay, look, at, it, it probably depends on the type of article and, and who you are. Like some people, some writers are able to just churn it out really quickly. I, I'm an agonizer, so it tends to take me a long time. But it, it also really depends. Um, if, you're watching, if you're watching a game and um, an idea, really strong idea comes to you, often that they're the ones and you're sort of pumped full of emotion. They're the ones that, that you can write much more quickly. The days when you've got to write something and you're just not quite sure if it's there or it's not as strong an idea. It's funny. They're the ones I think that are much harder to write. Like, I, I mean, I can think of one that I pumped out really quickly, just based on the emotion, was when uh, Pakistan were chasing at the Gabba. Uh, they almost pulled off an incredible chase um, against Australia at the Gabba. And, and Jared was there and Jared said to me, you should go down. Cause there was this, there were, hard, there were hardly any people there that day. And there was this small group of really noisy Pakistan fans. And Jared said, you should go down there. So, and I went, you're right. So I went down there and I sat with them and I took notes and I spoke to people um, and I took a couple of photos. And then I came back up and it, it just was, a, I just spewed everything out just because I was so pumped from all the emotion of being down with the fans. That was a really easy one to write. But then, you know, other times it's, it's really hard. And you usually will work on it during the day. Most people, match reports are different, obviously, because you're compiling something kind of as you go. And those guys, I, I don't do a lot of those kinds of match reports. Those guys have a, a really amazing uh, set of skills where 
they're able to have the story ready. If it's a close match, you know, they might have three different headlines and first paragraphs written. Um, and then they just file it on the whistle, as they say. So I'm terrible at that kind of thing. I shouldn't really admit to that, but it, that, that's harder for me to do. Uh, whereas the sort of stuff that I've written a lot, uh, certainly on match days for Crick Info, have been very much get the germ of an idea just from watching and then developing that. And sometimes you think that you've got an idea and it's working and then it doesn't. You'll see journalists uh, who are sitting in the press box will suddenly curse because someone who, you know, is is on 83 and they're getting, a you know, the story ready for the century and everything else then gets out and they're like, I don't know if they've made enough to make that the story of the day. So, look, it's a, it's a process of just getting an idea and then tossing it around in your head and then if you decide it's strong enough you flesh it out from there but it's definitely easier when you know it's, it's a it's a sort of match that gets the blood pumping um and you've you're sort of going on that that adrenaline as well and the ideas are coming sort of much quicker to your head uh but there, there are a lot a lot of people out there who are much much better at it than i am um and i've been lucky because i've been able to pick and choose sometimes what I write about, uh, whereas others, you know, if you're covering a team and you're expected to you write a story every single day, you know, I really, really admire the, the, the people who do that and come up with consistently excellent writing every day. And we're blessed in cricket. We've got so many great writers in cricket. It, it really is, uh, you know, a, a sport that I think, especially test cricket, allows for narratives and, and really good writing. So you mentioned that you you love following other teams, a lot of teams rather. So which team does Mel support? See, I get asked this. I, I genuinely don't. I genuinely don't. And people, I get accused of, of being an Australian fan. I get accused of being an England fan. I get accused of being biased towards India, against India, uh, Pakistan. Like it, every time it's, it's really, it's really funny. Um, and I, I just I just love good cricket. I love a good cricket match. If if anything, I, I like seeing an underdog do well uh, because I think that's good for the game to see it competitive across the board. So, you know, it's it, it's always nice when you see uh, a team that, that like you know say the West Indies who struggled in in recent years to see them win, or you know if ba- Bangladesh if Australia finally condescended to to play Bangladesh in a test match, which hasn't happened for so long. I would love to see Bangladesh do really well. If they beat Australia, that would be amazing. And that's not because I support Bangladesh. That's just because I love seeing international cricket being competitive. And the more competitive it is, I, despite the fact, obviously, India winning is, is good for the economy, as a cricket economy, as you've said, but just having competitive cricket, I think, is is so important for the game. So I, I really enjoy covering other teams because of their different stories and, and different narratives that, that you can pick up on and just watching different cricketers, too. Um, but I, it's not like I'm devastated if a particular team loses or I'm ecstatic if a particular team wins. A lot of, again, a lot of writers, I think, will tell you that they, that what they want is the good story to win. So you you want like a great story somehow, and that that's really how I look at it and and I approach it. And uh, you said everybody like myself. I'm a cricket mercenary. I don't care who wins. Actually, it should be a, a good end, a good game, a good five day game if it is a test match. Now. A uh, lot of writers, you said, that will tell you that they want a good story. But actually, how how necessary it is to be a good writer, a good journalist, to stay neutral and not get the emotions, uh, let the emotions get the better of you. Rather, I, I mean, I think that the emotions might will always come into it, or it certainly will often come into it, especially if you've got people who have grown up being you know a massive fan themselves I mean no people weren't born cricket writers or journalists so they they come from a certain background I do think it changes you know I think if you'd asked me 10 years ago I I would have said absolutely you know I'm Australian cricket fan and and you know want to see Australia win before I was actually working in the industry but that that really changes and the other thing that changes it for me which is probably it's not a good thing but um I, if I do a, a feature on someone or if I've 
dealt with various players or whatever, and they're really great to deal with. I kind of like to see nice people do well. So, or if I've, if I've done a feature, it's like, God, that would be amazing if this feature ends up in the next series. It's like, oh, if I, I did a big one on, um, it, it was really tricky. I did a big one on Owen Morgan um, before the last World Cup in England. And, you know, when it came to that final, uh, it, it was, who, who could you really want to win in that? There were, there were two teams, two brilliant teams there. Um, and I've had such great dealings with New Zealand cricket every single time. And I also have had great dealings with England cricket. There was a little part of my brain that was like, oh, that big feature I did on more. this would be amazing. <laughs> that This feature, I've written this feature and it has the ultimate like coda, this little epilogue where, and yes, he, he ended up winning the World Cup. So, so those sorts of things sort of that do come in your mind. Oh, what does that mean for the story? It's very, very selfish. I'm, I'm a selfish person. I'm a bad person. What could I say? The World Cup is coming this year and you've written an article about Arne Finch. Uh, although, I'm not sure. So, okay. Uh, I love that article. I mean, the way you've uh, gone through his story, the way you've told his story and the way, uh, you know, you've written about it. It's a very well-written article, long form, but, but great. However, uh, what I want to know from you is, um, what are some of the writers that you've enjoyed, you know, reading? And... Uh, are there any articles, for example, you've written, you've, you've, uh, you've seen are, you know, you were like, oh yeah, that is great. Loads. Like I said, I, I'm, uh, I, I mean, you can, you can go, you can go by, by country in England. They're blessed with amazing writers. Obviously George is a colleague of mine. And so is Jared um, who's over there as well. And always enjoy reading their writing they're incredibly talented uh jonathan Liu can write really provocative um pieces i was reading one uh today by barney rone which was which was great as well so there's there are a lot of really good good writers there even paul edwards who writes on county cricket mm. can be really entertaining um and, and it's different kinds of writing they're also good news journalists in, in india obviously i worked with uh with uh, sid monger uh, who's a, a good friend of mine and he he writes terrific articles and Bharat as well, Bharat Sundaresan, who you know I, mm -hmm. I've worked with out here. I've learned a lot of things from from talking to, to him too about how, you know, different approaches to journalism and storytelling. Huge fan of Sharda Ugra um, mm. because I honestly, I think she's possibly the bravest journalist in in cricket you know she she pulls no punches there is no one uh, she is not you know afraid of writing about she wrote a uh, a recent piece on Surav Ganguly that was I thought pretty brave um journalism uh so she is obviously wonderful um and then you know in Australia obviously Gideon Haig is is held up as a as a really great example and he's been incredibly supportive of me I'll get this little um I'll just get this little email after I've written a feature um from Gideon that'll just say enjoyed that Mel good areas as they say and it even reads like Gideon sounds um but but also uh, Greg Baum is um he's a super writer in Australia he he manages to have layers of meaning within like one single sentence that it, it, it actually has words that have double meanings and so can be taken different ways. Fidel, uh, Andrew Fidel Fernando, I mean, he's one of the funniest writers out there. When you want to read about um, Sri Lankan cricket, it, 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 the piece that he wrote about Herat, I think was, that's one of the great pieces of, of cricket writing that I can think of that, that I read. Uh, so many, I didn't see, I forget so many. And of course, Osman Samyuddin, um, Osman writing on anything, particularly, you know, he is the writer on Pakistan cricket. And I've, you know, I've been really lucky to have worked with him. And I've, I've written on Pakistan uh, when Osman's been there. And I've, I've, you know, workshopped ideas with him and, and sent him stuff. And he's really great because he'll, he'll help you uh, with your writing so much. But yeah, he's, he is insanely good. He's terrific. So yeah, that's just a whole lot of lists, I know. So there's not there's not one favorite. I think people have their own um, uh, their own strengths and and styles. styles. And yeah, there's so we're lucky in that cricket has a broad church 
is a broad church when it comes to cricket writing. So you can have funny articles, you can have very highbrow articles, or you can have very uh, technical uh, writing in there as well. Even some of the like young guys coming up through um, uh, through cricket that I know in England, like like Vish or uh, Vish and, and Will, um, they are fantastic. And yeah, lo lots of those guys. It's there's too many, too many talented people. I hate them. I want them to go away. I think we get our answer why you are so well liked in the cricketing community and even by fan by fans because you're partial to no one. You like everyone. <laughs> uh, jokes apart, uh, Mel, for us uh, fans looking from afar, a life of a journalist seems very envious because you are at the ground watching live cricket, interacting, uh, hobnobbing probably with the players of the match, um, you know, big players. But I'm sure there are a lot of things which when if you get into it are very hard for a normal person i mean generally how hard is the life of a cricket journalist well there's not as much hobnobbing as as you might think there's there's there, especially now now that that covid has changed things there's there's very very little hobnobbing um there's uh, there might be the odd conversation from socially uh, socially distanced on the on the way to the nets or back but uh there definitely not a lot of hobnobbing uh, you we are spoiled and and I think all of us appreciate that we have um, front row seats to some of the the great matches and great moments in the sport uh, and we're very very well looked after as well you might because you're always seeing you know pictures of food and and lunches and everything else which is crazy and we we get to watch in comfort so when it's you know screamingly hot in uh, in at the at the whacker or something usually usually not always we're, we're in air-conditioned comfort or even when it's freezing cold at, at, and damp at edge baston you know we're nice and cozy inside so that that is something that will be very very much privileged uh, to to experience in being looked after like that the the traveling on the long days can be really, really draining. Um, and traveling is great. I love traveling and I've really missed it. Uh, but after a sustained period of time, it can be because you all know whenever you travel, you know, there are always things that go wrong. They're just things. There's luggage goes missing. There's a flight canceled, all sorts of things. Even here covering the um, India series in Australia, uh, I was battling border closures where, you know, it was in Adelaide and it was 11.30 in the morning and suddenly they I found out to... that they were closing the border at midnight. And it was like, so so all that, those stressful things about traveling, the logistics and everything else, that, they don't always help the creative process. So if you're having to think about all of those things, then you can be, you can be a bit stressed and, and that doesn't make writing or it's... It, Doing video when you're stressed or tired is really hard as well because of the energy that it takes. Uh, so, so some of the things about a, a lot of traveling are both amazing, but can also really test you, I guess, as well. Um, just you know, living out of a suitcase for three months uh, can drive you nuts. So, so that's that's probably something that's really hard, and, and they can be very, very long and tiring days. So. If you are at the ground, and I say this, hopefully none of my colleagues will ever hear it because I'm not known for being um, one of the earliest in the press box. <laughs> but say if you're there at like 9.30 in the morning, or quite often, yeah, there are lots of times when I've been the last one to leave and it's, you know, 10 o'clock at night. I certainly had that in the last series, at the India series. Um, yeah, there at 10 o'clock at night. And then sometimes you have to go home and do something else. So there are times when even... You know, I remember in the World Cup um, in England and it was just manic going from one place to the other and the amount that we were doing. And I had been at one game at, at Trent Bridge and had gone to the, the mix zone and then the, the various presses and then the other options that they had. And I was sort of recording everything. And then we had to jump in a car, drive halfway to Southampton. We got to, we got to the, this hotel in the middle of nowhere at midnight and I get, yeah, I'd been at the ground at like, I had to be there at 8.30 in the morning. So it was midnight when I got to the hotel and then I had to sit down and write a piece. And it was, I was so exhausted. And it was one of those things where it was like, okay, just, just write one sentence. 
okay, just write another sentence and just keep going. And I think I probably finished it at about, I don't know, half, half one, two o'clock in the morning. And then we're up at seven in the morning to keep going. So but those times it, when you do that over a tournament or a series, that can really be draining. And that's where it comes to the, the videos. If you're really tired and, and you know, you're trying to do polite inquiries or a post-match review and your brain's fried because you're just knackered, um, it's so easy to make mistakes and it's so easy to be flat as well. Mm. So they're, they're probably some of the some of the challenges, but and the, you know, they're, they're, they're small problems to have in what I understand is uh, has been a very privileged sort of period covering cricket. Great. Moving from your journalism journey and and the issues or the small issues that you may have faced to the issues that the cricketers face. So 2001 Kolkata test is, is regarded as or often referred to as the test that changed how teams looked at follow on. Now, in the last two years, what happened in the Ashes by Stokes and Leach, then the Sri Lanka chase in South Africa, recently India did it almost twice in Australia. And now what Kyle Mayers of West Indies did to Bangladesh. Do you think in the last couple of years, uh, teams have started looking for things, chases also differently? Also, how Root extended the declaration uh, for India, maybe? Yeah, well, I, you know, a lot of people were criticizing um, Joe Root. As, as you know, it's often referred to as declaration speculation. And uh, it always comes into play. Uh, and, and some former players are, are very big on this and very, very uh, uh, quick to sort of invoke there. You've got to be prepared to lose to win and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I mean, it's, it's really easy, particularly for us, when we haven't been out there for days trying to build up a lead and get ourselves into a position where, you know, we could win or, or draw a game. Um, so it, it's really easy to sort of say, oh, they should be doing this or they should be doing that. Uh, sometimes you, I guess we have to respect or understand that, that the players have got some view and, and sometimes it, it might come off and sometimes it might not. That, that's just part of it. In the end, Root played that perfectly because they, you know, they'd won the game by T. Um, it, it was it was all over. So his decision making is pretty hard to, I guess, to question. It might not, it wasn't attractive to watch. I guess that's a thing. But then, you know, that that's not their objective. He's not going to worry. Joe Root's not going to worry about people moaning on Twitter that they're not scoring enough runs and they should be declaring. That's that's not going to affect him. But yeah, I do think you're right. I think it's changing. And often um, we we hear about, we hear criticism of what T20 cricket has done to test cricket batting um, and the fact that players are, you know, don't often don't seem to be able to that time or some, you know, cope with different pitches because they're used to playing on flat T20 pitches as well. Um, their, you know, their techniques might not be as, as solid as, as those who were raised to just play four day cricket or five day cricket. But then maybe that's also part of the, um, the, the advances in cricket that have been made from the influence of T20 cricket in targets that that seemed unreachable in the past are, are completely different for those who who are used to you know scoring up to to 200 runs or, or even more in 20 overs uh, so I, I do think that 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 has changed things um, and I don't think we're getting as many draws I know that there are the stats on this but we don't seem to be getting as many draws except for rain affected matches uh, as as we used to and I think that's part of it as well the game's speeding up a little bit um, and yeah so you're right we've seen some in, incredible acts of, of fourth innings batting heroics uh, in the in the past year and that has got to be in, in players minds in captains minds when the whole concept of um, of declaring and when to declare comes because I, I mean can you imagine if you if you're in Joe Root situation and say England had ended up drawing that match and he'd copped some criticism for that. Can you imagine though how much criticism he would have copped if he'd have declared early and then India had chased down the target and England had lost the game? So I, I that, that's sort of how I look at it. You know, but what's imagine the criticism if they go one of either way. Mm. Interesting. 
Now, um, we talked about uh, the, the uh, English, uh, uh, you know, uh, cricket uh, test match. I want to go a little um, back and talk about the Australian uh, series. Now, we talked with Bharat and, and he was like, hey, in Australia, even in August and July, the seas was so hyped. Everybody was talking about it. They, they used to call it uh, the Virat Kohli series. It's on screen all the time. It's on banners and so on and so forth. And it turned out to be a great cricket series, right? Uh, but the results, the way it came out after the uh, fourth test, um, how, how has that changed? Are the fans still, uh, you know, as pumped about, you know, India coming over or has it changed somehow for people? How's the mood been overall for fans after this Look, series? I, the thing that I found really interesting is, is talking to people not involved with cricket, just casual cricket fans. Um, people you, you just run into, the builder who was working um, on the bathroom here where I was, you know, all these people, the thing that they kept saying was, uh, how, you know, how gutsy were those Indians? You know, how, mm. how much fight did they put up? That was, you know, they lost it. I think Australians really bought into that story. And I had loads of people say to me, I was actually hoping, Australian people saying to me, I was actually hoping India would win. Uh, because you know they've been through so much and they'd shown so much fight and and also the the various things you know the, the Tim Payne narkiness on Stump Mike all, all of that sort of stuff the the kind of publicity around uh, racist comments in the stands all of that sort of stuff just I think it is a bit of a turnoff uh, for casual fans it, most people I, I think most fans want to feel like they're supporting the good guys. And there doesn't have to be good guys and, you know, one team are the good guys and the other team's the bad guys. But but you, I think a lot of people want to feel like they're supporting, you know, good some a good team or, or whatever. So that, that was something that really struck me. And even in the newspaper articles that, that came out, it, the narrative was like, hats off to India there was mm -hmm. it was it was real admiration and it was you know what they deserve to win they were better than Australia and and fair play to them um so that that for me was was really interesting and uh, I think the absence of Virat Kohli for the majority of that series was interesting as well because I, I actually wrote a piece when India came out the previous time when they at the last series when they were out uh, and the whole theme of the, the piece was, was Virat Kohli is living in our heads because all the, um, the, the TV promos and everything else um, were all about Virat Kohli. Like everything was about him. They had animated series with Virat Kohli in them as advertisements. It, it, I'd never seen that about one player before. Not, not in the same way. I, I can't think of any one player who's been highlighted so much in Australia. It, it, was, it was really incredible. So they milked that for all it was worth it, before the series started with Virat coming. And obviously the narrative of you know, Australia having been beaten last time as well. Um, but then what happened was it, it kind of then once he left it, it left, it meant that there was more room in the media and the headspace uh -huh. of, of people watching for all these other great stories to be told. And, and and all of these other cricketers had their their moment in the sun. There was and there were so many. Suraj had his moment. Rahane had his moment. Ashwin did. Pujara. All of, all of the players. Washington. Um, so Richard Pant, obviously. So that, I thought that was actually a, a really a, a cool thing that because all of a sudden the media couldn't just hang everything on Virat Kohli all the time. It just allowed, and that, that's not Virat's fault at all. It's just, it's the way people react to him. Um, it, but it was nice to see all these other stories unfold and mm -hmm. see other players have, have a real chance to, to have a, a moment sort of centre stage in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so one of the major fallouts, uh, Melinda, if I can call that as fallout, is uh, I have been listening to a few Australian podcasts uh, and there is a sense there have been noises coming out against J Justin Langer. And the way it is being interpreted is that there are players, especially the player managers, who are actually leaking out these stories against Justin Langer. All that is, all that generally happens in this part of the world. 
but happening in australia that is something very new uh, how, how, what do you make of all this players actually purposefully leaking stories against justin langer well i don't know i mean you think about the the last days of nicky arthur as australian coach and and the the stories and complaints that that came out around there where there was obviously some friction with 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 players uh, and the coach so so it does happen but yeah you you're right it certainly happened a lot more i mean my favorite part of this whole story was that that a, a major complaint that that seemed to well it, it wasn't a major complaint but one that ended up getting a lot of attention was Marnus Labashain um being berated for for going to walk out with with a toasty in his pocket and and i'm i'm actually really disappointed that this didn't become bigger because i think toasty gate added to sandpaper gate dressing room gate all of those gates that uh, that we've had uh, would have just been fantastic can you imagine a big furor if he'd gone out with a toasted sandwich and people were accusing him of using the the cheese grease to 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 shine the ball or something fantastic uh, so that that toasty gate was probably my favorite part of that yeah, it's, it, Australian cricket's a funny thing uh, People in Australia, there are a lot of Australians who are cricket fans in the summer. So when it's when it's summer, they'll they'll follow the various football codes in the winter, and then when summer's here, everyone suddenly pays attention to cricket for for a fairly small window of the year. And even though people might follow what happens overseas, I, I just don't feel that uh, it, it's um, followed as passionately as it is in other countries. So for example, um, if you take Indian fans, obviously love watching India, wherever they are, whatever they're doing, that's a huge part all year round. Uh, and, and people would say they're Indian cricket fans. In England, you've got really passionate and fans who, who go to county matches and they'll say they're a Surrey fan or they're, they're a Warwickshire fan or, or whatever it is. And uh, so, and because it's behind a paywall cricket there, they have to pay to watch it. They have to pay a lot of money to go to a lot of games in smaller, in smaller grounds so there's not as many tickets available. In Australia, it's on free-to-air television and I think most fans would say they're sports fans and they watch cricket in the summer as opposed to being year-round cricket fans. You, I, you don't hear many people say, oh, yeah, I'm a mad New South Wales fan when it comes to Sheffield Shield. It, it, it's, it's quite different. And it's a big um, section of the community that love watching cricket in the summer and say, yes, they're cricket fans. But things that happen overseas tend not to make as big an impact. So the fact that Australia have now lost back-to-back -back series at home against India is the thing that stings because Australian sports fans who like watching cricket in the summer like seeing Australia win. So I, I think, you know, the fallout from that and bearing in mind that next summer in Australia is the ashes. Now, if Australia loses that series, then I, th I think, you know, there'll be, there'll, there'll probably be quite a few changes. There'll probably be another review. Goodness knows. They have so many reviews, but if they ended up losing the Ashes on home soil after losing two series to India on home soil in recent years, that's much more likely. They can go they can go overseas and lose, and people aren't going to worry so much. But it's it's losing at home that will cause the biggest stir. Great. So talking about um, you know the talk and the Australian cricket, um, what do you make of the noise that uh, is being created around Australia calling off the uh, South African tour? at the last minute yeah uh, also the uh, fact that you also already mentioned you know australian australians are looking like as if it's a condescending thing to go and play outside somewhere else is is there any um truth to the fact that uh, uh, a lot of people have been saying that australia doesn't like to play anybody other than the two big other cricket nations I mean, I, no, I don't think that's true. I don't think that okay. Australia doesn't like to, to play those other nations. But so there, there are a few things. I mean, this is, um, if, you, if you go by, by history, you would have to say Australia are the, the most risk-averse team when it comes mm -hmm. to travelling and, and visiting other countries. And, and we've seen that, that in many examples over the years, whether, whether it's been because of terrorism um, or 
you know, unsafe political environments. Australia has, has always traditionally been fairly risk averse. So, and that's perhaps part of being, you know, on an island at the other end of the world where <laughs> most people uh, leave Australia alone. So uh, I, there's perhaps a little bit of that in it. Now, in this situation, I can't say they should have gone to South Africa because I don't know what the all the factors were that, that were part of their risk assessment. So uh, unless you see all of that and know all of the minutiae of, of what they were basing that decision on, uh, I think it's really hard to say definitively, no, they should have, have gone. Um, so they've made that decision rightly or wrongly. I, I don't know. I don't have enough information um, or understanding to, to say that definitively. But when something happens once, uh, you know, okay, it's happened because of this reason. When something happens twice, okay, maybe there are reasons again. When it happens three, four, five, six times, suddenly you, you, you can't help but say, well, hang on, it's, it's pretty fair to ask if there is a pattern here. Now, there were reasons that they called off some of those games uh, last year that were set up as, you know, warm-ups to the the t20 world cup it didn't make sense perhaps to to play some of those okay they still would have meant a lot to those countries that were supposed to come to australia yes that's the thing there are always reasons that how many cancelled tours of bangladesh and bangladesh coming to australia have we had there have been so many i feel really sorry for bangladesh in particular england hasn't been great to bangladesh as far as hosting them either but there have been so many and that so the problem then becomes Australia, the Australian Cricket Australia officials, and I feel sorry for Nick Hockley, who's there now, because he's interim, he's kind of come in here and he's he's battling to justify, you know, years of, of perhaps neglect towards some, some countries. But, you know, Australia quite happily jumped into the big three, uh, so-called big three arrangement. Um, and they, they have like canceled these tours over a long period of time and they've still managed to travel to England last year and they've still managed to host India at home so now it's if they they can say we value international cricket as much as they like but they're only words the only way that they can change that perception around the world is by their actions uh, is by committing to series uh, and test matches and tournaments uh, in in not just in England